You're listening to audio from Christ Covenant Buckhead. If you're interested in learning more, visit ChristCovenantBuckhead.org. Life. You want a life that produces fruit, a word that I like to use is a flourishing life. But, but what this proverb is saying is if you want to be fruitful, then you're going to need some oxen. You're going to need some oxen in your barn. It's hard to plow the field by yourself. You're, you're not going to get that far plowing the field by yourself. And so if you really want to be fruitful, if you really want to produce fruit, if you really want to maximize this life that, that God has given you to live, you're going to need oxen. But, but here's the problem. Oxen are messy. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, right? Everything in your life is nice and neat and orderly and easy. But oxen, man, if you want to have oxen in your barn, they, they require some work. You got to feed the oxen, right? You got you to fill the manger with food. You know, an oxen, when they start eating and start working, what do they do? There's oxen dung. You got to be shoveling oxen. Oxen require oxen dung, not shoveling oxen. You're shoveling oxen dung. Oxen require metal, medical attention. They get injured. And, you know, the, the harder they work, the hungrier they get, the more you got to feed them. The more you feed them, the more dung there is to shovel. You see, we all want a fruitful life. But if you want a fruitful life, what this proverb is saying is you need oxen. And the problem with oxen is that they are messy. The problem with oxen is the manger is never going to be clean. So as we look at this passage today, I think there's a lot of insights for us. And so I want to look at three things with you. First of all, the, the oxen, the manger, and the harvest. And so men in particular, as you think about your life, as you think about where you're going, I just want to say this, you need oxen. You're going to need oxen around you. And, and you're, going to, you're going to have to learn how to care for those oxen. You know, I, I, when, you know I'm right now I'm raising children, and I was at this discipleship weekend this weekend. I was speaking to a bunch of high school students, which is a great age. It's such a great age. And I just encourage you, if you're not invested in our children or student ministry, Man, it's such a good age to, to invest in. And I'm trying to tell these kids, look, you know, your parents, your pastors, these people, that they, they want what's right for you. They want you to flourish. They're, they're trying to push you. They're trying to release you to what's truly good for your life. And, and so, you know, even as, as a kid, I had parents and teachers and coaches like this. I'm so grateful for it. They were pushing me. And so, you know, when I was 18, I left home to go become a man, to go get my first oxen, Right. And my first ox was a college education. And again, I, I got a college education. You know, it, it, I was given so much. You know, I, I just had a wonderful environment. I had great parents that supported me through that. But it was still hard. You know, I still had to learn how to study. I still had to learn how to get up. I still had to learn how to uh, engage with the world. I still had to learn how to, to, to produce something that Auburn University would say, okay, this is acceptable. And after I got that oxen, I decided the Lord was calling me to ministry and I had to go get another oxen. This was called the Masters of Divinity. I had to go to seminary. And that was a harder oxen because I didn't have as much support around me and I had to be working full time and I was paying a lot more bills. But again, just the Lord was gracious. There was wonderful people around me. I've learned that if you're in a faith community, if you're surrounded by good people, then the manger work is pretty fun. The manger work can actually be pretty great, but, I, but I, there's a lot of late nights and a lot of early mornings, a lot of grit involved in taking care of the oxen. 
Then, of course, you know, you got to go out and get a job, right? That's kind of the next, you got to get another ox, an ox that will produce a livelihood for you. And again, jobs are incredibly fruitful. Jobs are good oxen, but they're really hard oxen too. And you can be in jobs that are physically draining and emotionally draining and mentally straining, some late nights of dung shoveling, you know, and you feel like all the, the ground is hard. You feel like all the other oxen in the field are stupid sometimes, you know. But that's a fruitful ox. It's kind of an ox that if you're going to be a man and you're going to provide for a family that you desperately need. And of course, you know, I wanted a family, right? And so, you know, metaphorically speaking, I had to go get another ox. You know, I had to get a wife. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully, you know, your wife doesn't look too much like an ox. But again... Having a wife is a, is a wonderful thing. I, you know, Paige, right before, said, hey, they need me in the children's ministry. I guess that's a good thing. Um, and Paige, of course, looks nothing like an ox. But, but Paige is a, Paige, metaphorically speaking, is an incredibly fruitful ox for me. I mean, she, she, is, a, she is incredibly uh, gracious in our ministry. I mean, what would this church be without Paige and our family and just taking care of our children? But at the same time, there's a lot of manger work involved. And for you men, I mean, you men that are married, you know this, for you single men, you know, caring for a wife is, is a lot of hard work. In fact, even the Bible uses this kind of nurturing language. In Ephesians 5, it talks about husbands nurturing and caring for their wives as they do their own bodies. It talks about husbands washing and bathing their wives with the water of God's word, discipling their wives. These are difficult things to do. This is a lot of early mornings. This is a lot of late nights. This is a lot of grit required. And then, of course, you know, if, you, if you want children, I mean, children, again, they're wonderful. The Bible talks about children as arrows in the quiver of a man that, that for, in terms of your legacy and your life can produce amazing fruit. But, but again, children require a lot of manger work. In fact, of all the little oxen metaphors I've been giving today, children are the only one that I've had that actually does require cleaning up dung a lot of the time, you know. You have to change a lot of diapers. You have to, they wake up in the night, they get sick, and they, they affect everything. But again, they are incredibly fruitful to have in your life. And of course, if you want all these things, you need a house. house this house is an expensive ox, and it's a, an ox that requires a ton of work. But to have a house is a wonderful thing. I mean, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, if you've come to my house recently, you've noticed that the, the lower oven door, I have a two oven set, the lower oven door is missing. And this is a huge headache. Um, you know, what happened is my son Rainer, you know, kind of went uh, Price is Right big wheel on that lower door and pulled it right off. And uh, it, it, the, gra the glass of the door crashed everywhere. And, and right around that same time, we were getting some windows replaced in our house. And we had a guy come out and quote us on some glass. And he, and he couldn't get, do, fix the windows that we needed. But he was like, but I think I can fix that door. He took our oven door. But we had so many people coming to quote Glass at that time, we couldn't remember which one he was, and so somebody's got my oven door. And I, I don't know who's got my oven door. And so we, we cannot find this person. So if you, if you see anybody with an oven door, I am missing one. But a house is a wonderful ox to have, but it's, there's always something, right? I mean, this is the last problem I think I'd be trying to solve, but there's always something to take care of in your house. And, and my point is, men hear this, you're called to be leaders. You're called to be fruitful. And the men in this room, you have incredible gifts that God wants you to use. 
And many of you have incredible dreams for your life and what you hope to do with your life. You want to be fruitful, but just hear this. A fruitful life requires having oxen around you, having tools and people around you. And those oxen, the more oxen you have, the more care you have to give, the more mangers you will be cleaning out. And the more those oxen produce for you, the dirtier the manger will be. So just know, if you, if you really want to be fruitful and live a fruitful life, you're, you're going to need oxen, and oxen are dirty. So we've talked about the oxen. But the second thing I want to talk about with you is the manger. And I think this is maybe the most important part. How do you care for the oxen? How do you steward the oxen? Uh, I read this book this year, and I've had our staff reading it and our elders reading it. I think it's just been really, really helpful for me. And I've actually read it with another group of guys called Strong and Weak by Andy Crouch. And if you haven't read that book, I really, really recommend it. And, I, and this book, as I was thinking about this in terms of oxen care, manger care, it, it was incredibly helpful for me to kind of think through some of these categories. But basically, what Crouch does in the book is he, he creates this grid of... Um, of human flourishing. How do you get to human flourishing? Can everybody see this? How do you get to human flourishing? And he creates a cross-section of authority, right? True flourishing comes with authority, where you have authority in an area, but also vulnerability, the strong and weak. That's where real flourishing, when, when, you, when you're a person of authority, when you're a man of authority, where you, you've mastered things, where you have skills and things, where you're producing good fruit, but you're also vulnerable. You're not closed off to the world. You're willing to enter in to relationship. And he said, where we get off track on these, it leads us in all kinds of directions that can lead you away from flourishing. You know, and so, you know, he begins the book and I'll begin just with suffering. And there are so many guys that I talk to. It's amazing how things can happen to us guys when we are little, hurtful things, painful things that that go on affecting us. You know, there's these little scars. I mean, even just stuff that happened on the playground. I'm talking stuff that happened years ago that just has psychological effect on us for a long, long time. You know, asking a girl out for the first time and her saying no, these are, these are really hard things. Uh, you know, and, and big things. You know, I have a buddy from college who had a hard college breakup. I mean, I've been out of college a long time had a hard college breakup, and he, he's still, I think he's still, I mean, I said, what's going on with this guy? Say, he's still not over the breakup. He, he, he holds every woman at a distance. He's not married. He won't really love people. He separated himself from his friends. I mean, this, this was a, a suffering time of his life that has totally affected him. You know, divorce is one of these things. You know. and I, you know, some of you may come from a broken home, and I know people that have obviously gotten over that, and they're flourishing, and they're doing well, but it always affects you. It's always something that becomes a mark in your life, a barrier in your life. And, and when you suffer, right, you, you can either do one of two things. You, you can either pursue authority and move toward flourishing. You can either kind of grit it out. You know, one of the things my dad always said to me is, look, when, when you're in a ditch, just do the next right thing. You know, when you find yourself in the lowest places of life, it's some of the best advice I can give. Just do the next right thing then. And then the next right thing, and then the next right thing. I was having a conversation with a guy the other day, and he's kind of in a ditch right now. He's kind of in a financial ditch. And I said, you know what? In five years, you're not going to be in a financial ditch. Just do the next right thing right now. Like, just, just make the next right decision right now, and in five years, you're going to be great. Maybe even in two years, you're going to be great. But don't, 
Don't freak out right now. Just, just put your head down, keep doing the next right thing, and you'll move to flourishing. And, and that's a beautiful thing. If you know how to suffer well, that can produce amazing flourishing in your life. But sadly, what so many men do, this is the worst thing that you can do. When pain comes in, they withdraw. They pull back. This is my friend that I'm talking about that, that had the high school breakup, he pulled, or the college breakup. He's pulled away. He's keeping things at an arm's length. He's withdrawing. He doesn't want to be vulnerable. And he feels weak. He feels like he doesn't have any authority. This is why, you know, this is why a lot of men play video games. And, you know, certainly it's okay to uh, play a video game here and there. If anybody thinks they can beat me at Super Tech Mobile, I welcome the challenge. But uh, withdrawing is, but, but so many men are playing, you know, hours and hours of video games. Why? It's a withdrawal mechanism. You know, they've gone out there in the world. The world has beat them down. They've realized they don't have the athletic ability to be an NFL quarterback. They don't have the vulnerability to work hard at something else. And so they can be an NFL quarterback in this video game. And it's a, it's a mechanism of withdrawal. Uh, this is uh, one of the reasons, you know, again, in the same way that, that pornography is so big among men, right? It's, it's total withdrawal, right? It's, it's, it's zero vulnerability. It's, it's zero authority. It's not putting yourself out there. It's not going through the grit of an actual relationship. You can get all the fantasy and all the fun without any of the vulnerability, without any of the authority. And, and, and man, I just want to warn you this. You're prone to withdrawal because you don't want to be hurt. You know, women, more than men, will hang out over here. Women will get hurt, and, and while they're kind of building up toward authority again, while they're building up toward flourishing again, they'll, they'll continue to be vulnerable. They'll, they'll be open. They'll be known. They'll have conversation. They'll, they're more open with their pain, but men so quickly run this way. They, they so quickly run away from being known, run away from being perceived as having any sort of weakness. And I just want to say, in, in this world that we live in today, this world of gender confusion, this is even, this is even more difficult for men. You know, there is masculinity in the world, men. And men need to be pushed. And parents, I just want to say this, your boys need to be pushed. They need to be challenged. They are called to be protectors and leaders and providers. And men are not being pushed this way anymore. You know, and as recently as the 1970s, college enrollment was 60% men, 40% women. And again, women don't hear anything negative in this. But today, that, that number has totally reversed. Now it's 60% women, 40% men. What happened? And I'll tell you, this is what's happened. Men are prone to withdraw. College is a tough ox. And a lot of men aren't being pushed toward it. A lot of men aren't being pushed to, to take on that kind of challenge. And look, this, this kind of man, if you stay in this, this is a man that will not flourish. Yeah, if you ever work with somebody like this, you know, men that are leaders, men that are flourishing, men that are go-getters, I mean, it's an amazing person to have on your team, an amazing person to be married to, an amazing person to just draw strength from. But people that withdraw and that don't pursue, that's an incredibly difficult person to be around. So how do you get out of this? Well, a lot of men seek to get up to seek authority, Right? A lot of men seek some sort of authority. They figure out what they can be good at, what they can flourish in, and they seek authority in that 
area and hide the other areas in their life. And, and I'm telling you, this can lead to the third category here, what, what Crouch calls exploiting. Exploiting. Where you begin to, you, because you've had pain, because you've had hurt, you, you begin to kind of hurt the world back. You see that it's a tough world. You see that it's a, a difficult world. And so you kind of hurt the world back. Instead of, instead of uh, being willing to be hurt for the world, being willing to inconvenience yourself for the world, you, you're willing to hurt others for the sake of your protection and your good. This is called exploitation. And there's no real relationship, no real flourishing here. There's only power here. And I just want to say this. This is, this is our city. This is the world that you live in. Men are prone to this because a lot, a lot of you live up here. You know, most, nobody gets to Atlanta and is successful at all in Atlanta without a couple of oxes. You know, a, a lot of you men, you may not have a ton of oxes that are flowing in your life, but you've got at least a few. And you may be really good at those few. And so what a lot of men do is they give themselves completely to the oxen that are flourishing for them and they withdraw from everything else that is difficult for them. And it's very easy in this kind of scenario to begin worshiping the oxen, to begin throwing yourself at the oxen. And my fear, I think, for the men in this room is that this side of the quadrant is where a lot of us are going to hang out. We're either withdrawing, there's things in our life that we're hiding, we're putting everything at a distance for, or there's things in our life that we're, we're, we're just trying to, to hold the authority on. We're not willing to be in any way vulnerable toward, and, and in fact, we're, we're using those things as a blanket for the other things in our lives. Men do this with their children. There is a lot of men who, ch child rearing is hard. It's a difficult ox. And so there's a lot of men that will throw themselves at the oxen of their work where they feel validated, where they're getting raises. You know the problem with your kids? They don't give you raises, right? You don't get performance reviews from your kid and they say, you're five stars, right? And they just, they just complain. And so a, a lot of you will throw yourself at the place where you think you're being validated and you'll ignore, you'll, you'll show no vulnerability in, in this other stewardship that God has given you. I'm so grateful that Ryan just prayed for stewardship in all areas of your life. We talked about this with family worship. I know a lot of men that are neglecting the discipleship of their families because they don't feel equipped. That's okay if you don't feel equipped. Show some vulnerability, get some help, and move toward flourishing in that of your life. Quit hiding from that. Quit withdrawing from that stewardship that God has given you. You know, this will divide your life. I mean, so many men stay divided over here. They throw themselves at a few things over here, and they hide from things. This is why men have affairs. Because they, they feel validated at their work. They don't feel validated at home. And so they throw their emotional and energy over here. And look, a wife is a difficult oxen, I'll tell you. It's going to require great accountability and a lot of grit. But that's a stewardship that the Lord has given you. On the other side of the coin, this is why some men who don't feel validated at work get bitter against their work, and they're not productive, and they withdraw to the home, or they start living their lives vicariously to their children, through their children. There's snares in every direction here. And, and I say this, and I want you to hear this with as much empathy as I have, is manhood is hard. Flourishing is hard. Manger care is incredibly difficult. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we pursue a fruitful life? You know, if you want to be fruitful, you're going to need oxen. 
And for a lot of us, God has given us a barn full of oxen. But are we caring for those oxen with an appropriate amount of grit and grace, with, with an appropriate amount of authority and, flour- and vulnerability? Are we moving toward flourishing? And so that's what I spend the last kind of bit of our time talking about. How do we, how do, we do this? We've talked about the oxen in the manger, but, but last, I really want to talk about the harvest. What I'm going to call the harvest here. How do you have a fruitful life, a truly flourishing life? And and the first thing that I just want to say here, if you want to flourish, you have to have an identity that is bigger than your oxen. Hear that. If you want to have a flourishing life and a fruitful harvest, you have to have an identity that goes beyond your oxen. God is going to give you some oxen that will be incredibly fruitful for you. And it's very easy when you get a great ox to begin worshiping that ox. It is not an accident that in ancient times people had idols that looked like calves and oxen. Why? Because people worship what produces for them. People worship what they perceive to be fruitful. And it's very easy for these good things. I mean, oxen are good things. If you want to have a fruitful life, you're going to need oxen. Don't hear me wrong, but it's very difficult to not have an identity that's bigger than the oxen and begin to worship your oxen. And Tim Keller's famously said that an idol is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. And none of your oxen, not even your wife and children, none of your oxen are meant to be ultimate in your life. And if you get a good ox, just hear this, it is so prone to become an idol and your whole identity will be wrapped up in your oxen. You'll be caring for your oxen. There's nothing outside of it. And, and you'll uh, slowly but surely, you'll grow empty inside. Yeah, Matt and I, uh, as I mentioned before, um, we led this discipleship weekend this weekend, and it was great. It was great to kind of be with them. It was kind of on accident. We both got kind of booked for the same thing. Um, and we were talking on Friday night about Anthony Bourdain. You know, this, this story has really kind of shaken me um, because, I, I, I mean, I love this guy, right? I mean, he, he uh, I mean, think about, if you think about like all the jobs you could have in the world, it'd be like, Okay, what about the job where you get to travel around to the most beautiful place and eat the very best food there and get paid a ton of money to do that? That's a really good job, right? You know, it's like how, I mean, what, what is even, I don't even know if there was a lot of like dung shoveling, you know, in a job like that. And yet, even though this, this man had the most beautiful ox, he was obviously empty inside. 61 years old, he, he takes his, his own life. This wasn't flourishing. There was, there was depression. There was depression that, that ultimately obviously stole his life away. So hear this. You, you have to have an identity that's bigger than your oxen. And this is why, this is exactly why, this is why the law of God is so helpful. This is why God laid some rhythms in his word that are so helpful. This is one of the reasons God gave us the law of rest, right? Because work can become an idol. You have, work is a great ox. As I said, you need the work ox. But work can become an idol. You work all the time. And so God said, look, I'm going to give you a day where you can't be identified as a farmer, where you can't be identified as a doctor, where you can't be identified as a successful businessman. You just have to be a man today. You're going to rest today and just be a human being. And that's an incredibly hard thing to do. You know, there's 39 Sabbath laws in the Old Testament. You know why? 39 laws about resting and how to rest. You know why? 
Well, have you ever tried to rest? Have you ever tried to actually gear down and not work for a whole day? It's a very hard thing to do. We probably, we probably need more Sabbath laws. We need, we need to follow this principle. This is what God is saying here is, look, I don't want you to, I don't want you to start worshiping the work ox. This is one of the reasons that God commanded the tithe, right? Money is a great ox. We can use it for a lot of human flourishing, but, but you can very quickly begin worshiping the wealth ox. And so God said, look, you're going to remember that this is, comes from me. You're going to give this back to me. It's the same reason that, that part of the sacrificial system, it's no accident that part of worship in the ancient Hebrew culture, part of their worship was to actually kill some of their oxen, some of their lambs before God. It was a reminder to them. It was a reminder to them, none of these things are ultimate. So first, if you want to move toward flourishing, you have got to get an identity that is bigger than your oxen. And and our problem with all this, how how do you do this? Our our problem with all of this is we're cleaning out our mangers, we're caring for our oxen. It's very easy to slip into self-centeredness and self-righteousness on one side, or self-loathing and self-depression on the other side. Just watch out for this. As, as you clean your mangers, if you're successful at it, if your oxen are all running, there's times in life where your oxen are all really doing well, family's doing great, work's doing great. This is a time of life where, where you are so prone to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness says, I'm better than you. Or self-centeredness, I'm more important than you, obviously. And when your oxen aren't doing so well, right, when things aren't going so well at work, when things aren't going so well, then then you can be so prone to to what I, just depression or self-loathing. This is that withdrawal. So how do you keep both? How do you have authority and vulnerability? And and I'll go ahead and show my cards here. The, The only thing that I know that simultaneously, at the same time, can produce enormous confidence and authority in your life and enormous humility and vulnerability in your life at the same time is the gospel. There, there are things in your life that can produce vulnerability and they can produce authority, but not at the same time. That's the amazing thing about the gospel is that simultaneously as you're applying the gospel to your life, it will simultaneously at the same time produce enormous authority, enormous confidence, and enormous vulnerability, enormous humility. We wrote for our community group material this week, hear this, the gospel both humbles us and motivates us at the same time. When you are confronted with both the holiness of God and the love of God displayed for you in Christ, it is both enormously humiliating, it lays you bare, and it's enormously animating and life-giving. Tim Keller wrote in his book, Reason for God, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, vulnerability, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. Authority. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I just think of myself less. And I just want you to hear this. This is the centerpiece of, of everything that we do. You know, a lot of people come to church 
They read the Bible looking for good moral examples. They read the Bible looking for just grit, right? I need a guy that made it. I need a guy to carve my life after. And we need models. A good, a good model, a good example, that is a wonderful thing. But if you want a perfect model, there's only one example of that in all of the Bible. In fact, all of the Bible stories, they're all about guys that were deeply gritty. They did enormously... The wonderful things, I mean, just think about even from the very beginning, Adam and Abraham who left his home and Noah who built this ark that God used to save the whole world, Moses who freed his people. They did enormously gritty things. David, the great warrior king of Israel, enormously gritty things, enormously powerful things. And yet at the same time, all of these guys were enormously flawed, enormously flawed. But if you pay close attention, the point of, the point of these stories isn't that, hey, be more like these guys because they're enormously flawed too. The point of these stories is in every one of these guys' lives, just look through the scripture, in every one of these guys' lives, something happened in their life that caused them to look beyond themselves, that caused them to look past themselves, to the, to the grace that they had to have in God. You know, if you think of, of Adam in charge of the whole garden, enormously flawed, he fell, he allowed his his wife to fall into sin, but God gave him this, this promise of an offspring. There was, there was something that God gave to Adam that said, look beyond this. You know, think about Moses, this, this guy that had an, these enormous things happen in his life, but he was incredibly flawed, and God gave him a burning bush, a revelation. He said, look beyond this, look to the promised land. Or King David, the God says, look, someone in your line will sit on the throne uh, forever. Enormously flawed man, yet God still, he, God gave him something where he had to look beyond himself to the hope that he had to find in God. And in that, by the end, all of these characters are finding deep confidence and deep vulnerability, deep authority and deep humility, grit and grace. And so I guess I, guess I just want to ask you today, where is your identity? And men in particular, where is your identity? Do you, do you have an identity that's larger than your oxen? Are you looking beyond your barn for identity? Or is it all wrapped up in who you are and who your oxen are? Have, has something happened in your life that, that, is, that, that leads you to look beyond those things, to the hope that we have in Christ, to the hope that we have in God? That's where true flourishing is found. It's the only place that I found you can have both grit and grace, both authority and vulnerability, both confidence and humility, both at the same time. And it's applying that gospel to your life over and over and over and over again. That's why we need this. That's why you need to be in the word of God. It's why you need to be in community. You, you need to be applying this all the time. We get distracted. We're so easily distracted by our oxen. We start to think that they're everything. Eventually we start to worship them and they'll always fail you. Where is your identity? Has something happened in your life that's caused you to look beyond the barn, to look to the ultimate hope that, that we do have in Christ by the power of his gospel? You know, people always ask me as we kind of close, um, the, uh, what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to look to Jesus? You know, Paige will even say this to me sometimes. You know, what is it, what do we say when we say look to Jesus or have faith in Jesus? What are you talking about there? Look beyond yourself. You know, what, what, how do we do that? And, and if people are looking for something, I think oftentimes very practical there. And I think it, it's more practical than you think. You know, 
an illustration I'll, I'll give here is this. You know, I, um, a lot of y'all know the story of how I kind of met and, and fell in love with Paige. Um, I met her at this party, as some of y'all know, and it was just this magical moment. I talked to her for like 45 seconds at this party one time. And it was like the greatest 45 seconds. And, um, but this girlfriend of hers pulled her away from me, kind of took her off into the party. And, you know, what was I to do? I just had to stand there, you know, like an idiot. And, um, and of course, I didn't want to follow her, you know, into the party. I just kind of, I tried to kind of find her again later, but I couldn't. And, you know, then that was it. Well, two years later, you know, I, I moved to her hometown randomly, and I meet her dad. I figure out this guy's daughter was that mystery babe from the party <laughs> two years before. And so, you know, one day I get her phone number. Now, here's the deal. She didn't, she didn't remember me. <laughs> like, she had no idea who I was from the party, and, but I got her phone number, and, and, I, and I called her. Like, I kind of cold called her. And... Um, yeah, I know. And for some reason, she didn't hang up on me, and we talked a little bit. It was a good conversation. I asked her if I could call her again. And, like, the next day, I, I called her again. I was not playing it cool, right? <laughs> and, and that day, we talked for, like, four hours. And then the next night I called her, we talked for four hours. And we did this for, like, a whole month. Every night. I mean, I was, I was in Covington, Georgia at the time, and I'd call her, like, 10 o'clock Eastern. And... You know, it was 8 o'clock her time. She was in Wyoming. And I would talk to her until 2 a.m. And then, I, you know, I was up in the morning early, and I didn't care. You know, I was on cloud nine. There's a lot of energy out there, right? It's like the best, best energy drink you can get. And, uh, but I was getting to know her by the phone. Now, I hadn't seen her since this, like, 45 seconds at a party. She didn't even remember me, but she was getting to know me. I was getting to know her. You know, we were telling stories of our lives and, you know, looking at pictures of each other on Facebook or whatever. I mean, just getting to know one another a little bit. And then when we got to know each other so well that she came home the first of November, I still remember, and, and I knew her enough to take her out that night. I took her out the first night she was coming home for a trip. But when we went on that first date, when I saw her, it was like I knew her. You know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't weird. It, wasn't, it was like we'd been together for a long time because we, we had gotten to know each other by phone. There's this great theologian that I really love named John Owen. And he says that Christianity is knowing Jesus by faith now so that you can know him by sight later. And, and the story that I tell about Paige is, is a good parallel to that. I, I wasn't with her, but I was getting to know her. I was hearing her voice on the phone. We were talking. I was hearing her stories. I was learning about her. And, and the more and more and more, I mean, at first, you know, she wouldn't have recognized my voice on the phone. I would just say, hey, this is Jason Dees, that weird guy from the party. But, you know, but eventually I could just say, hey, and she'd say, hey, we knew who each other were. We got to know each other. And this is the same thing with, with the Lord. Faith in Christ is believing that Jesus actually is still alive and that you can know him. You can know him by his word. You can know him by a community of believers. You can, you can know him through prayer. You can actually get to know his voice. One day you're all gonna see Jesus by sight. And the question is on that day, will you know him? And more importantly, will he know you? 
There's this really kind of haunting story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 about these key people that come before Jesus and they've done all this toil, they've done all this work and they come before Jesus and they say, hey, look, Lord, look what we did, look what we did, look what we did. And, and he says to them, I don't, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. And, and men, I, I tell you that to say, that's that is what I do not want for you guys. To spend your whole life toiling building up these barns, having fruitful oxen that, that means nothing, finding your identities, oxen that won't last, and missing out on true flourishing, flourishing that really lasts. And so you, you've got to know Jesus by faith now so you can really know him by sight later. And, and I don't know exactly what that means for you today. Right? That, that, may just, that may just be diving into this. That may be confessing a sin. That, that may mean for you going and reconciling with somebody else here, having a conversation that you need to have with your wife. You've been withdrawing. Something is in your life that you've been holding back and you need to get vulnerable before a Christian brother, before someone else, before you know, even a pastor were available. But I'm, I'm gonna pray here in just a moment and I'm just gonna ask that the Lord would, would move and would speak and that, that we would get to know him by faith so that when we see him, it won't be weird. It'll be like we've been together for a really long time. We know each other well. We know the most natural thing we could do just to be with our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray for my own soul that we would just begin to see Jesus so clearly by faith now as, as we pursue Living a fruitful and a, and a gritty life, Lord, I, I pray that we would find true flourishing, the kind of flourishing that only comes in Jesus, that only comes by being anchored uh, in the one who, Father, both can humble us to the core by his holiness and lift us to the skies by his love. So do that gospel work, Lord, in our heart right now. Help us to, to see our true selves and to see also how truly we are loved. In Jesus, for his sake, in his name I pray these things, amen.